Hello and welcome to episode number five of the Pennsburg podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, also known as the Kessel Run. And this week I am joined by another brand new guest to the podcast, uh, another great writer here at Pennsburg. He is the one and only Mike Darnay. Uh, Mike, how are you doing? I am wonderful. How are you? I, I am fantastic. I, I know, um, Mike, you're, you're pulling double duty at the time of recording, just coming off of your own podcast with Dying Alive with Pat and Jesse. So, uh, I want to thank you personally for pulling some pulling some overtime tonight to help us on the Pennsburg podcast, and uh, we have a lot to talk about. We have a great interview with Bob Grove coming up that you will absolutely want to hear. If you know anything about Bob Grove, the the quintessential unofficial Penguins encyclopedia, probably probably the the best and the go to Penguins historian. Uh, if you're looking for anything about this team since its inception. But uh, yeah, just a tremendous interview with, with Bob coming up. Uh, but before that, we have a little bit of hockey to discuss, Mike. Uh, s- since our last recording, the, the Penguins, they swung through Western Canada uh, with games against the Calgary Flames, Edmonton Oilers, and Vancouver Canucks. And to put it lightly, they had a pretty, pretty good uh, Western Canada road trip going 3-0 and against these teams. And Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you mentioned that the the scoring differential in terms of goals scored was 20-6 to, 20 to 6 in, in favor of the Penguins? It, it was 26. Uh, if we tie in the Toronto game that they played before they headed out west, it was 23-6 to because that was also a shutout. Um, and it, it was just crazy you these western games they're late you, you sometimes you don't want to stay up because they don't play well and they just did the complete opposite they tore through western canada uh they beat edmonton 6-5 in overtime they beat calgary 9-1 and then they shut out vancouver 5-0 um i wasn't expecting that because they even though they shut out toronto before they went out west they weren't really playing all that well um their play's been kind of up and down so i wasn't expecting an offensive tear like that let alone uh, two games where they collectively allow one goal that was kind of a fluke goal as it is on the defensive side. So I was quite pleased by what we saw on the road trip. Um, They came back home, lost to the Islanders 6-3 on Tuesday, currently uh, squaring off against the Islanders again in a home-and-home series in Brooklyn as we're recording here. It is currently 1-1 starting the third period. Um, but there, there's no way you can't be pleased with, with what took place on the road trip. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if Since our last recording, I, we didn't touch, uh, obviously we didn't touch on any of the games that happened as they swung through Canada. Uh, the the 3-0 shutout against Toronto really kick-started everything. I guess you could call it a 1-0 shutout if you don't want to add the, the two empty netters at the end of the game that basically sealed it. But the, ga- the game against Toronto was super close something that I wasn't expecting. I was expecting Toronto to come out and beat the Penguins, just judging by their offense and what their offense had been, uh, what their offense had been doing to the other teams around the NHL. And that wasn't the case at all. The Penguins shut Toronto down defensively and they were able to squeak by with one goal, but it was just a performance that I was not expecting. If you want to go, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Toronto game. Uh, Obviously it was a positive, but I really think the Toronto game was a kickstarter for the rest of the Western Canada road trip. Yeah, I wasn't really expecting that either. I believe going into that game, Toronto was averaging four-plus goals per game, maybe even higher than that. They were all over the offensive score sheet. And then uh, Mike Babcock decided to match Austin Matthews toe-to-toe with Sidney Crosby, and Crosby just he just ate 
him alive. Uh, so then they left Toronto. Rather than hang out in Pittsburgh and practice for a few days, they, they did some team bonding in, in Banff in Alberta uh, before going to Edmonton. Because I think, I want to say they had four days off in between games. So they hung out there for a while before going to Edmonton where things got a little goofy. Uh, it was a back and forth game. Every time, every time the score settled, somebody else decided to go back up. Even I, I believe the Penguins were up 5-4 late when, when Edmonton tied it 5-5 and then Crosby decides to take over the game in overtime a little bit. Uh, you want to run us through that goal maybe? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be one hell of a run through for, for this Sidney Crosby overtime goal. Uh, I mean, it, at the time of recording, unless you've been living under a rock for the last week and a half to two weeks, you've probably seen this, the, the tremendous backhand goal from Sidney Crosby, but there's just so much to dissect from what Crosby did in that overtime session Taking the puck, if I can, I'm trying to piece it together in my mind. He, t- he takes the puck from the boards and basically just abuses everyone in front of him. Takes the puck, just the sheer control and the strength that Crosby has to, just to keep the puck on his stick and the power that he has as an individual skater, just to take it and flick it. Oh, it was just, I can't logically put words together because of how beautiful of a goal it was, but it was it, it was just a tremendous, a tremendous, another tremendous Sidney Crosby highlight goal, one that will probably end up on his career highlight reel. But it was just a regular overtime win in Edmonton. But I think the the baggage that comes with a game like that in Edmonton against Connor McDavid, we had touched on it a little bit, Jimmy and I, in our previous podcast uh, when we were previewing these matchups. And you'll hear a little bit about that in the interview with Bob Grove. But you 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 know Sidney Crosby more often than not, plays with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I think, you know, he still wants to prove to everybody the kind of player that he still is. And I, I think the the overtime winner at Edmonton, at the very least, showed that Crosby still has a whole hell of a lot of pep in his step, and he is ready to embarrass you uh, whenever given the chance. Yeah, yeah. And for me, the the move around the goaltender and the backhand shot were nice. But but the the he he put Ryan Strom in a blender and and yeah, Ryan yeah. Strom's a good Ryan Strom's a good player. It's not like that's a bum you're you're doing that too out there. After the overtime six five win in Edmonton, I was I was a little prepared for for a letdown in Calgary. I mean they scored six goals in the NHL in in this current state of the NHL. Sometimes goals are hard to come by. You have a one nothing game now and then. You have a two one game now and then. So they score six. You go into it the next night thinking. We might we might not have such a good night, uh, but on the contrary, the Penguins then go out and score nine goals against Calgary. So yeah, it's I'd be lying if I said I could ring off every single goal scorer that night, uh, but because it's it's hard to it's hard to ring off three, four, or five names who get on the score sheet. But when you have nine goals scored against an opponent in the National Hockey League. Uh, that is an achievement. I don't think it's an achievement to be taken lightly. Uh, I, I was talking with a couple of friends uh, after that game, and I said, I don't know if they'll score nine goals again this season. This might be one of those crazy games that you remember when you're reflecting on individual seasons, and you think, oh, hey, do you remember when they went to Calgary and scored nine goals, and they basically destroyed Mike Smith? I, I think it's going to be one of those games, but at the same time, you have to, you have to, uh, you have to equalize that sentence by saying, when healthy, they have a Phil Kessel, a Sidney Crosby, and a Kenny Malkin. So the probability of scoring nine goals can can happen pretty uh, pretty likely on any given night. But like you like you said, it, 
in the NHL where scoring goals is hard to come by, having such a lopsided score with a margin of victory like that, with the score being 9-1, it, it's just, it's an oddity in today's NHL, just in my opinion. But if, if you want to look at it from, from both teams' perspective, I think for the Penguins, having Mike Smith in that, you know, I don't know Mike Smith personally. I'm sure he's a tremendous guy. But, <laughs> you know, ha- having a, a 30, 36, 37-year-old Mike Smith in that, probably does the Penguins a couple of favors here and there. Let's not take away from the Penguins' superstars' abilities. That, that, you know, Phil, Phil Kessel's shot is one in a million. Crosby and Malkin are all, also obviously generational-type players. But, you know, it's it's Mike Smith, and I, I, can't, I don't even know the Calgary backup goaltender's name that they put in. They put in after Mike Smith let up his, like, fourth or fifth goal, and the, the poor backup Calgary backup goaltender was just put in there to just try and fan the flames. Huh, yeah. Oh, oh. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> try to fan the flames for Calgary, but uh, that, that didn't work either. Yeah. And funny enough, you mentioned the perspective from both sides of a nine, one game from a coaching standpoint, I'm sure Mike Sullivan would like the Penguins to forget about a nine, one victory as quickly as say last season, when they gave up 10 goals to the Chicago Blackhawks, especially in an October game. It's like, that's great. We scored nine. That's what we're capable of. But we need we need to go to the next game and 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 forget about scoring nine because if if we're worried about scoring nine tonight we might not score any tomorrow night and and they and I think they did a good job of forgetting about it because they go to Vancouver two nights later and they score five and don't give up any. That's a tremendous point, and I think Mike Sullivan, to me, Mike Sullivan has been around long enough in the Penguins organization long enough, and he strikes me as the guy like you said where I don't think he would be the kind of coach to let the Penguins rest on their laurels. And to your point, like you just said, they go into Van- they go into Vancouver against the Canucks, a team that beat them 11 days prior in their own building at PPG Paints Arena, taking a, a 3-2 overtime victory, the Canucks did. And for the Penguins to go out the following uh, for, for their following game against the Canucks and to give the performance that they did in that 5-0 victory, it was a tremendous turnaround. And, and I think... You could tell just how determined this team was, how 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 clearly it, how clearly they were on a mission to get the job done, and I, I think what they wanted to do was put put that Vancouver game in Pittsburgh, the three two loss, uh, in the rearview mirror, come out c- come back here in Vancouver and get a little bit of redemption, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, I was I was recapping that game for the blog. It, there was. Probably like a seven or eight minute stretch. I think it was the third period, if I'm remembering correctly. It was 12:30, and I was off my rocker by then. I was exhausted, so I think there was a six or seven, maybe eight minute stretch where uh, Malkin and Crosby and everyone they were just getting their shots, and it, they were just it was almost like one after the other after the other. They were just going in the back of the net, and the game ended quickly thereafter. But Again, another strong performance to round out the Western Canada trip. If you include the Toronto game, they go four and zero through Canada, um, and and then they come back. They come back to Pittsburgh after the uh, after the horrific tragedy in Squirrel Hill at the Tree of Life Synagogue, and you could kind of tell that at least I thought the Penguins had a mission that night on Tuesday with their first game against the Islanders. I think it was evident they, they obviously wanted to play for their city. I mean, who would who would not want to unite a city like that, given the circumstances of, of the horrific shooting, and deliver a performance, a grade-A performance like they had, just had done in Canada, 
obviously that wasn't the case. Uh, Matt Murray didn't have the best of showings uh, against the Islanders on Tuesday. So obviously not the result you want coming back home from, from a really, uh, from a really successful Canadian road trip. I, I, I don't want to put too much stock into uh, that game against the Islanders. And as you, as we said at the start of the show, they are currently in Brooklyn uh, again, facing the Islanders again. And, and they, when they're concluding this home and home set, and I believe uh, you gave the score update. It was one, one at the start of the third. I don't know if you have the score update next to you. Has anything changed since then? I do. Uh, I do have an update. The update is no update. There are 13 minutes remaining in the game, and it is still one-to-one. Recapping the last, what, four, five, six games since our last show, I think if you want to put it lightly, if you want to put it in as few, as few words as you can, the Penguins have had a pretty, pretty, pretty successful four-to-five game stretch. And I think these are the kinds of stretches as a team that – even though it's in October, these are the kinds of stretches, four to five game win streaks that you look back on and say, these are the building blocks that get get us to where we want to be in February in or in March or at the end the, the beginning or middle of April as you're preparing for the postseason. It's one thing for for a team to win one, lose one, win two, lose one, and continue that pattern throughout the majority of the season. But even though even though it's still it was still the middle towards the end of October, getting that momentum and going through Canada, beating beating the opponents like they did, uh, how handily they 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 beat uh, Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. I think it's a momentum booster, something that they can definitely look back on as they progress throughout the season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, and I feel like it's one of those things, like you said, when you're winning one, losing one, winning two, winning one, losing one, in that kind of funk. Um, you you may not have the time to develop good habits or bad habits. It's kind of like you're just taking one game at a time. But when you're when you're winning four out of five or winning three out of four in chunks, uh, those are the kind of seasons where before you know it, you're you're stacking 110 points and winning division titles. Yeah, it's it's a promising sign as early as it is in the season, and uh, it, it's definitely going to be something to watch. Uh, as the Penguins continue this stretch, as we get into the really the thick of things into in the NHL season, heading into November and December, you can look back on October as being kind of mundane or kind of boring. When exactly when when, you, when you're when you're headed into March and April and the games are ramping up, um, but but two points in in a road victory or two points and. Uh, you can't take those lightly. When you look over the Metropolitan Division over the last few years, playoff spots are decided by one or two points. Exactly. You brought up a great point there. The, the Metro has been so tight for the last however many years, and it may it may get even tighter with the with the emergence of Carolina. Unfortunately, I don't think if there's any Rangers fans listening to this podcast, you know the, the days of the Rangers look to be slowly fading away. But the emergence of Carolina. Uh, Philadelphia, as we saw last year in the postseason in round one, um, you're going to consistently always have Washington and Pittsburgh there, I think. As you said, you know, with, with playoff playoff hopes being decided by anywhere from one to three to five points at season's end, the, these are stretches that you cannot take lightly because they, they, they may come back to haunt you or they may come back to favor you uh, by the time March or April comes around. Yeah, yeah. Columbus is always going to play the Penguins tough. Uh, the Rangers, they they seem to try to be avoiding the 
inevitable rebuild for quite a while, trying to do one quickly, almost like the Penguins did in a way. Um, doesn't seem to be working. I think they're going to have to pack it all in. Um, Philadelphia, they seem to be well below expectations and well below even um, potential, mostly at the hands of their coach. But they're still a team that can that can show up for a night and give you a tough challenge. You mentioned Washington. You mentioned Carolina. The Islanders have given the Penguins tough games, even given their loss of talent in the offseason. So one point, two points could determine home ice in a playoff series for all we know. It's such for, for how um, loosely you, you view two points and the implications that it has for, for a time frame that you're, you're probably not even looking at for, for March and April. It's something that you don't put too much stock into right now, but with so many implications that, and so many different scenarios that could be formulated for, for playoff seating, it, it's, it's, it's something that I think for a team like the Penguins, it's something that I think always has to be in the back of their mind as they're playing these games. They, because they know, they obviously know the kind of talent that this team has. They know that on any given night, most nights, if you want to even take it a step further, most nights they should go out there and have a pretty solid, probably 50 to 60, if not 70% chance of taking those two points. So, there can't be a, there. I don't really think there can be a stretch where, especially later on in the season, where you're slumping and you're losing two, three, four, maybe even five games. It could tremendously impact how the playoff seating for for the Penguins. And you know, it's something that you don't want to think about because for the last however many years you've looked at the Penguins and they've always been at the top of the Metro. They've always been competing with with Washington for first, second, or third place. But it's 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 a conversation that I don't think is had to, it, it's not had as often as it should and we've kind of uh, we we've kind of already said it you know you don't want to put too much stock into these October games it's boring and mundane and guys are still trying to get their feet under them but it's it's always something that should be taken seriously from a player's perspective from a coach's perspective and from a team's perspective yeah yeah and and when you have a team like the penguins who perennially were contenders two years they won i can see why the team might struggle to get up for a game in october there were times i could i visibly remember last season there were times where i mean because your last season you were coming off of the the back-to-back championship run and i should preface this by saying the the shortened summer and the the shortened time to regroup and retrain probably did have some sort of an effect on the team's play, combine that with the fact that they had one of the the more grueling schedules throughout the league last year with all of those back-to-backs. And you could visibly tell from the onset of a lot of the games that they played last year that it was it was it was tough for them to get up. It, it was it was tough for them to to hit that on switch and to to really get into that gear and to show you know why we have these generational type players in Crosby and Malkin and Latang and Kessel. That was last year. And the Penguins, unfortunately, being eliminated by the Capitals in May, they were given that 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 full summer to recuperate and 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 re- rehabilitate. And I think so far, so far, I think it I don't think it has been an issue, at least a major issue, in my opinion, for the Penguins to get up for. To, to get up for these early October, early November games. I, I think the early, the, the, the late summer they had for everyone that was able to recharge their batteries, uh, a guy that immediately comes to mind, obviously, is Chris Letang. 
for, for, for a guy like the tank to recharge his batteries and to see what he's doing now, uh, basically controlling that defense in the absence of Justin Schultz and looking at a guy like Evgeny Malkin, who has, I believe he has 19 points in 10 games. I mean, that is just absurd. And we're going to get into a little bit more of that in the interview with Bob coming up. But these these players, specifically their leaders, I think their leaders have re- have almost recaptured that determination and that spark or that fire that drove them for the, the previous two out of, uh, out of the last three seasons to get that championship. Yeah, they look pretty well refreshed. Like they're they're pretty pretty ready to go. Mike, I, I think that just about does it for the the latest recap of what the Penguins have done since our last podcast. If you're all set on your end, I'm all set on my end. We can go straight into the fantastic interview with Bob Grove if you're all set. Sounds good to me. Awesome. Here is Bob Grove of Pittsburgh Hockey Now and formerly of the Penguins Radio Network. And joining us now is Bob Grove, uh, formerly of the Penguins Radio Network. Uh, I believe most refer to him as the unofficial historian of the Penguins, uh, who is chock full of knowledge. Bob, how are you? I'm great, guys. Tonight, great to be on with you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Uh, So we just wanted to run through some things, uh, mostly covering the Penguins' recent uh, road trip to Canada. Uh, So they, they had four games. They went to Toronto, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver, and they came away 4-0 with a 23-6 to six goal differential in those four games. Do you remember a, a tear like that through a Western Canadian road trip recently, at least? Well, no. There's never been uh, you know a trip like that to Western Canada. The Penguins, only once in their history, have gone out to Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver on a Western Canada swing and swept it, and that was back in uh, December of 2007. And there were a bunch of close games there. In fact, that was – those uh, – it was on that trip that Chris Letang won a couple of games with shootout goals. Um, so those were really tight games. So I've never seen a Pittsburgh team, you know, go out there and have that kind of uh, domination, to be honest with you. And, you know, really when you throw the Toronto game in and you're talking about a four-game road trip, and, you know, the thing that stuck out to me was not only the number of goals they scored, because we know this team's capable of doing that, but if it wasn't for James Neal, kind of mostly fanning on a shot that ends up beating Matt Murray, they would have had three shutouts in four games. And uh, I don't need to tell you, that's not usual behavior from a Pittsburgh team. Yeah, yeah. I even remember recently over the last few years, it, I mean, you get those games, they come on at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, sometimes the dreadful 10.30, and it's like, do I really want to stay up and watch this? Because they often don't play well out west. So I was surprised to see, especially the 9-1 to in Calgary. Yeah, you, you just don't – look, you, you never expect games like that in the National Hockey League, especially, you know, as competitive as the league is these days. But, you know, I think that sort of goes double for me with a Calgary team. that's underachieved a bit for me. You know, I, I thought Calgary would be um, – would show themselves to be a little bit stronger than they've been. And um, Mike Smith has been one of the issues that they've, they've had here early in the season in the Penguins. And if you are not – if you if your goaltender's – doesn't have, now you know I will say this in his defense even though you know he gets yanked in a game and they gave up some you know he gave up obviously a bunch of goals he also made some good stops I mean he could have given up more so he didn't he didn't play all that badly but you need your goaltender to stop a few more than that and if you're not on top of your game when you're playing this Pittsburgh team um, you, you you're going to find yourself in trouble a lot of nights Bob one of the many positives we saw from this 
Western Canada swing was the emergence of Sidney Crosby and more specifically the emergence of Sidney Crosby's backhand. People on social media have jokingly coined it as the, the Sidney Crosby backhand tour, uh, swinging through Western Canada and hitting, <laughs> uh, hitting Calgary and Vancouver and Toronto and uh, Edmonton. But looking at Crosby's backhand specifically, what is it about his backhand? What, what is it that makes it such a deadly force for opposing goaltenders to face? Well, look, the one thing he's, he's great at doing is, is put, well, let's, let me start at the beginning for me. When I think about his backhand, number one thing for me is the confidence he has in it. So, sure, lots of other guys take backhanders. Um, but I think Sid, to me, feels as comfortable doing that as he is going off his forehand, to be honest with you. So he has, he has a different level of confidence in that shot. And he's obviously worked on it, but he controls the puck. Uh, when he, when it's on his backhand, he has phenomenal control of it. And, you know, once you have those two things together and a guy who's not afraid to use it, now it's, for me, the next thing would be his ability to elevate the puck. Uh, he, he, he just has a great release on that backhand to get he, – he's able to put it lots of different places and he's able to get a lot of elevation with it kind of routinely. And, you know, you can go back and – if you look at the uh, you know the overtime goal in Edmonton, I mean he had to do obviously a lot of great skating work um, and, and some good imagination to get himself to the point where now all he had to do was beat the goaltender. But that was also not a routine shot, um, you know, that he scored on. Nor was the one in Calgary a routine shot that he scored on the backhand. So uh, I think if you just add his general ability and his confidence, um, you know, with the shot, I think I think this is what it adds up to is a guy who's going to score a lot of goals that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary enough to have a player with Sidney Crosby's ability on the ice. And then you add a confident Sidney Crosby and it has to be terrifying for goaltenders. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you can't cheat. You absolutely can't cheat against Sid. Uh, because the minute you do, he's going to expose it because he has a lot of different weapons and he has a lot of different ways to score goals. And, you know, as we know, he's still, he primarily, he's more of a setup guy. He's more of a passer than he is a scorer. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. But, um, you know, there are times that when you're saying to yourself, boy, I wish, you know, Sid would shoot the puck a little bit more <laughs> than he does. But when he gets one-on-one, when he gets in those one-on-one situations, uh, except for the shootout, uh, he's, he, he's got a lot of weapons. And he's, he's got the ability to put pucks almost anywhere. So, uh, if you're a goaltender and you're in that kind of situation with him, not a guy you want to see. Also, I, I see there's some chatter going around about Chris Letang, and there there's some already some talk going around, not just in Pittsburgh, about the Chris Letang Norris Trophy campaign. Is this the year? Well, we uh, let's you know let's just think back here. Now we've heard Chris Letang being uh, touted by some folks as a you know potential Norris Trophy candidate earlier in his career. And of course, he's never really come too close. Um, I think it's way too early to talk that that way. He's he's off to a phenomenal start, absolutely phenomenal. He, you you want to talk about a guy who, for me, is he's gotten back to the way we've seen him when he's playing at his best. So I might go back to the most recent example. I would say would be the fifteen sixteen season. But I mean, he's playing. He's decisive with the puck. He the, the hesitancy that he had last year the decision-making trouble that he had last year, it's all gone from his game. Um, you know, he seems to be confident. He seems to be uh, just on top of his game every which way, chasing down loose pucks. The, the, 
decisions he's making in the defensive zone with the puck. It's not just about the points he's putting up. But all that said, for me, it's still way too early because when you're talking about guys like Carlson and Burns and Hedman and some of these other guys who are used to being and you know have won the trophy before, that's a, those are big hurdles for a guy like Chris Letang to overcome. I'm not saying he can't do it, but it's just it's only a few weeks into the season, so I don't even I don't know for me guys to be honest with you I don't even start thinking about those kind of trophy things until after you get in the second half of the season. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think what you were saying about the the confidence he's displaying, I feel like a lot of that has to do with he had a full summer to be able to trust his body physically again after the injury and the surgery he went through. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, he sort of he said that at times last year, and then he of course said it again this summer that you know he just felt like if he could just have his typical normal summer, he'd be back to his old self, and he's been absolutely right. Um, so I think I think what what happens when you look back at last year for me, I think in hindsight, I think he expected uh, probably too much from himself. I don't think he was fair in what he was expecting he'd be able to do, and we probably weren't fair in what we expected him to do given the kinds of injuries that he had. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that he's feeling comfortable with where he is as a player. Yeah, and, and lastly, um, on Evgeny Malkin, he's starting the year on a torrid pace, averaging about two points a game at this point. Um, I believe he just cracked the NHL's top 100 of all-time scoring, um, and he's kind of doing it quietly. What do you think about that? He's not really making any waves. He's just going about his business. Yeah, and isn't that really kind of one of the themes of his entire career, right? So he's, he's playing with Sidney Crosby, so he always kind of gets talked about second in that conversation. And then, you know, as the Pens were on this Canadian trip, it's the whole big debate about Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, who's the best player. And, you know, so that debate is all raging around. Meanwhile, you know, as you said, he's averaging about two points a game. And this is sort of what he's done his entire career. Um, the guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer, um, you know, a former Conn Smythe winner, uh, a guy who's, you know, he's one of the greatest guys ever, players ever to play. And there's no question about it. When he gets done, who knows what his totals are going to be like. But for him to get off to a start like this, and as you say, do it kind of quietly, a little bit under the radar. It's probably just fine by him. So uh, there's so much to like about it. It's not just the points. Yeah, he's had a few games where defensively he's still making it a little bit crazy. But for the most part, I think he stayed out of the penalty box. I think he's done a lot of good things. I've seen him apply himself more, a little bit more defensively this year. And uh, the last thing I'll say about Gino is, for me, he looks quicker. He looks faster this year, which gets back to, I think, the fact that he – he got back to skating earlier in the offseason than he normally does. And for me, it really shows. Yeah, yeah. You figure they had an extra month to six weeks compared to what they had the previous two summers. Um, and, and it makes me wonder, you, you see these all these things about Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid, and these guys have to look at each other and say, we're still who we are. Look, Austin Matthews is in the hype, hype center of the, of the hockey world, right? So, he, you know, he's playing in Toronto. And and that just goes with the territory. So he gets that. And Connor McDavid's been dealing with this his whole life. And you know, I, I just really love. Look, they're awesome. Both of those guys are awesome players. I mean, Matthew's size and shooting ability in particular. I mean, he, he you know he's hurt now, but in the first few weeks of the season, quite frankly, he looks almost indefensible. And we know what McDavid is like. I mean, McDavid, you just can't keep up with him, and he's able to. His hands can keep up with his skates. Um, but I love what Mike Babcock said about it. And, you know, remember, so he's one of these guys is his own guy. 
and he basically said, look, there's not even a debate. Sidney Crosby's the best player in the world, and if you want to know why, just think about what he's won, the, the team things that he has won, and, you know, from Olympic gold to the Stanley Cups, et cetera, et cetera. And those guys don't have that. And I think that's a fair comment. I think these are two great young players, but let's not elevate them too soon because the, the mark of a truly, truly great player is not how many points you put up. It's where do you take your team? And Sid has proven this, like many guys before him and many guys who will come after him. And for these two guys, I, quite frankly, I think Austin Matthews is going to win a cup in Toronto. I don't think there's any question about it. And I feel the same way about McDavid and Edmonton. But until they do it, I don't know. Not a huge debate for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's unfair. And, and you see you see Crosby every time these these things come out that a reporter asks somebody who's the best player in the world, and the answer is not Sidney Crosby. He goes out and – scores a highlight real goal the next night. It, it, it's, it's kind of fitting almost. Yeah. And uh, anyone who, who thinks they'd approach that Edmonton game like any other game on the schedule is crazy because not only did he score twice, get the game winner and do it in dramatic fashion, but he won 16 of 20 draws that night. I mean, he just, <laughs> he just was, he was, he was a dominant player from start to finish. And it's not the first time Sid's, you know, been in this rodeo where people are not questioning him, but, you know, wondering if he's as good as uh, maybe somebody else is. And he goes out and just puts a little reminder there uh, and then sticks it uh, kind of in their face after that game. So it was pretty enjoyable to watch. As a matter of fact, we touched on it in our last podcast, and it, ha- it went out right before the Penguins hit their, the Western Canada road trip. We were previewing uh, we, 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 pre- we were previewing the matchups between Crosby and Matthews and Crosby and McDavid specifically. And I remember I was having a, a discussion with my other co-host, Jimmy, and we were saying, you know, Crosby and Malkin, the, for how good they, they are as generational players, to, to a certain extent, they have to see some of that outside noise. You know, they have to see they have to see their name when 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 guys on Sportsnet or ESPN are debating the Crosby and versus McDavid or Crosby versus Matthews. There's no there's almost no way in the world that they live in with how much scrutiny is under them at at all times where they, they can avoid all of that noise and all of these debates. So it's an awesome reminder almost just to to see these guys to see Malkin and Crosby in action on a nightly basis is something that you, you really can't take for granted because because you're going to get the, those nights in Edmonton that Crosby displayed. I mean, the backhand overtime winner in Edmonton is probably going to go on a career highlight reel for Crosby, and, and it's just it's just a thing of beauty to watch on a nightly basis. No, I I completely agree, and that's you know that's why we're so fortunate in Pittsburgh. I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, you know, Mario comes here in '84 and. You know, even when he retires, you have Jogger there for a few years, and he comes back, and then before he retires, you have Crosby. So you've got, you know, I mean, that's 34 years, some of the greatest players in the game. And I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, guys who are 10th or 11th on the list. I'm talking about guys who are 1, 2, or 3. We're talking about Lemieux, Jogger, and Crosby, and Monken. I mean, these are, these are unbelievable talents, and we've been watching them basically – one or the other or multiples of them for 34 years in Pittsburgh. So that's where we're so lucky. But absolutely, uh, these guys, they hear the chatter. Look, look, they get the questions, you know, after practices and after games. So they know what people are talking about because they're answering all the questions. But the great players drive themselves with that kind of stuff. And they, they are able to prove themselves not over a month, not over a season, but over an entire career. And that's what Crosby and Malkin have done. And what I love about it is, for me, for my money, those guys 
they've got three cups. They're not satisfied. I, I think I really don't think they they seem really driven to win more. And uh, quite frankly, there are probably some guys who would win three cups and go, yeah, it's been a great career. And you know, maybe not consciously they start to coast a little bit, and maybe they don't do that little bit of extra training or whatever. That's not what I see from these two guys, and that's what you got to love about them. Yeah, yeah, we we are honestly blessed to be able to watch them night in and night out. No, oh, it's 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 amazing. And, and, you know, a lot of this what really kind of hits home for me when we go through these, we see these Crosby goals, and everybody's like, okay, where does that one rank? <laughs> we, right, we always have. The, we went through this last season with Sid when he was. He, he you know, he. I mean, you start thinking about some of the goals he scored in recent seasons. The, you know, the one-handed. Uh, you know, I want to call it kind of a backhand against Buffalo. Um, the one he batted in his own rebound off the post. That was an overtime game winner. Um, the one he uh, tipped to himself and then beat uh, uh, Carey Price with against Montreal. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But all of those came kind of close together and people were doing the whole list thing and you know the media was writing about it where your favorite goals and you know quite frankly you know I started thinking about it last season and when I started thinking about it I went back and remembered and, and saw videos of a lot of goals that quite frankly a lot of people have forgotten where I've seen sit uh, one against the Canadians one against the Rangers basically one on four and he scored, and people have largely forgotten him because, you know, he's, he's been around now he's, um, for, for 13 years in the league, and so they just haven't remembered him. So that's when you know how blessed you are that you're able to put these lists together, and they get quite long after a while. Yeah, we, we at Pennsburg did the same thing last week uh, after the Edmonton goal. We collectively asked one another to submit one goal, and a couple of people asked, how am I supposed to pick just one? And, and I was thinking back to early in his career, you have the the diving goal against uh, Tampa Bay, or you Tampa have the, yeah. the the game against Philadelphia where Darian Hatcher knocked his teeth out, and then he came back and won it in overtime. Yeah, there yeah. there no, there's just I mean, so many to pick from. Well, right, and I mean, I, I think that was the discussion. Was you know a lot of people after the Edmonton game were saying that was the greatest goal we've ever scored, and I, look, I'm not going to argue because you know you can have your own opinion about it. I just I'm not ready to put it right at the top because I just think it. Uh, people are forgetting some of the incredible other goals that he scored. And, yeah, you know, coming in overtime, that adds a little bit of certainty. It adds a little bit of weight. Coming against Connor McDavid while this whole debate was going on, yeah, that adds a little bit of weight. So some people are going to have it at the top of the list. But, you know, what? That's what, it's fun to have those discussions and to go back and, and kind of argue about which one it should be. Yeah, it really is. Bob, I have uh, one last question for you. It's It's obvious between Mike and I, how extensive your knowledge of the Penguins is. So for as long as you've covered this team, and you, you just mentioned it, we've been blessed for, what, 34 years to watch uh, a combination of either Lemieux, Yager, Crosby, or Malkin. But through the Penguins, through the history of the Penguins, since their inception in 67 until now, what is your go-to favorite memory as the unofficial Penguins historian, for lack of a better term. You, you know, you have such an extensive knowledge of this team in this city, and you've probably seen hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of clips or thousands of games from, from these superstars over the years. So what is your go-to favorite moment uh, covering this team? Okay, well, uh, it's, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. And, you know, um, 
I'm going to cheat a bit, and I'm going to I'm going to single out three things because I, I find it hard to just point to one. Number one would be uh, the Mario lifting the cup in, in the spring of 1991. Uh, for anyone who's you know who's been a Penguin fan, you know from from way way back, uh, you weren't sure that day was ever going to come, and it's kind of hard for me to express the emotions that fans felt when it they saw that it was actually real and the Penguins had actually won the Stanley Cup, and there's you know, and, and the cups that followed have been phenomenal, just phenomenal. But the, there's nothing like that first one, nothing. So, you know, that night is is, is on the list. I would say uh, also on the list was the night that, uh, you know, Mario came out before the game and they announced that the Penguins were staying in Pittsburgh. Um, and his ownership group had, had, you know, had really done some quite difficult work to make it happen. Um, and that Mario had control of the team and they weren't going anywhere. Um, you know, I've been through a lot of different scenarios where the Penguins were leaving Pittsburgh, like many fans in Pittsburgh. Um, this used to just be an almost annual discussion back in the 70s. And so that night, uh, I will never, ever forget because you just felt like this team is never, ever, under any circumstances, going to leave Tom. And, and let's not forget. But, um, you know, sometimes it's the off-the-ice stuff that really, really, uh, you know, is is uh, things that we tend to just gloss over sometimes. Uh, the third one I'll bring up is um, late in the uh, late in the streak when the Penguins won uh, their 16th straight game in the spring of 93. The Penguins went into New York, Madison Square Garden, and beat the Rangers 10-4. to And Mario had five goals in that game. Um, and that's the the game that set the record. And they were, and then they went home a couple nights later and beat the Rangers again for number 17, which turned out to be their last win. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just them setting the record that night with a 16th straight win. It wasn't just that. It was that they went into the media capital of the U.S. They went into Madison Square Garden, and they just, they just put, you know, a total exclamation point on the fact that. They were, you know, this was a two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, and you know what? They looked completely unbeatable that night. And at that point, I don't think the Penguins. Like, if you'd ask anyone around the National Hockey League after that game, were they just destroyed? You know, and this is a game where you got Madison Square Garden people giving Mario a standing ovation during <laughs> the game. Okay, if you'd ask anybody in the league who's going to win the Stanley Cup in 1993. It would have been 99% Pittsburgh. The, the Penguins. I mean, back then the hockey news came out right after that with a headline basically that like who who is going to ever beat this team? The Penguins. They were on top. They were on top of the world. They were a two-time defending Stanley Cup champion. They had just set the record for the most consecutive wins in the National Hockey League, and they had done it in New York with an embarrassing defeat of a rival. When Mario looked unstoppable, and you remember what that second half was like for him in 93 it was just incredible i i'll never forget that feeling right there because i said the same thing and you know we all know what happened that spring but that night that game the penguins just looked like the greatest collection of hockey players you'd, you'd ever seen you wondered if you'd ever seen a greater one that's incredible all right paul yeah, thanks well, so much for joining us uh great insight great stories uh you're always welcome here well, I, I appreciate that, guys, and I uh, really do. Thanks so much for asking me. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. All right, see ya. Okay, bye-bye.
That was Bob Grove of Pittsburgh Hockey Now and formerly of the Penguins Radio Network. Uh, I have I've never had the chance to get an interview with Bob and Mike. That was that that was a tremendous interview. I mean, he's story- he's, ph- he's phenomenal. Uh, even whether it's listening to him on other shows, on other podcasts, on radio networks, it it's still just it sounds like he's still doing his thing for the Penguins Radio Network as pregame and postgame, like. I, I always, one of my memories going to, I, I, it's been a while, but I remember I've been to some really bad Penguins playoff losses, riding home in the car. Bob Grove was the consoling voice to keep you from driving off a bridge. <laughs> it's as we were going through that interview and uh, both of us were just bouncing questions off of him. And every time he would give a response, I, I would just sit back and just almost listen in awe. I mean, I don't think there's a single person on this planet besides Bob Grove himself who can list in rather tremendous detail such uh, such simplicities or such minute details from from. He, I mean, he can pick anything from. I don't. I don't know the 1981-82 season, and then he can go straight into something that happened two years ago and somehow correlate those two. It, it's just. It's. That's fantastic. Just yeah, get... yeah, and there, there's no pause. There's no looking it up. There's no hesitation. No, that's the thing. It, it's all from it's all from him. And you know, you, you would think for for a standard person to do some of that research, uh, it, 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 it would take it would take quite a while to dig through some of those records and and to see, you know, what happened 30 years ago, even compared to what happened two or three years ago. And for the majority of that information, just to be inside of him, it, it, it's it's mind boggling. It's something that you just can't you, you just can't put yeah. a, you can't put a word on it. I, I'm having trouble just trying to pick the right word to describe what a what, what a treasure it, it is to have Bob Grove and his expertise and knowledge and all of the stories he's ha- he has. It, it's just awesome. Yeah. So so we hope everybody enjoyed having him on as much as we enjoyed uh, interacting with him. Absolutely. Uh, but that will just about do it for episode number five of the Pensburg podcast. Uh, before we get out of here, we have our episodic plugs that we have to get through. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, please, if you can take two minutes out of your day at most to, to, to give us a, to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If you're enjoying what you're listening to on your streaming service of choice, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google play, SoundCloud, uh, I'm probably missing one because we have so many different streaming services that we put this podcast out to. Uh, but please, yeah, if you if you really like what you're listening to, it means a lot to us that you uh, subscribe to the show and, and get alerts every time we put a new episode out. Uh, if you have and, any feet, oh, go ahead, Mike. I was just say, correct me if I'm wrong. We have a new Twitter account to pimp out, don't we? Yes. If you would not have, if you would not have brought up the Twitter account, uh, I probably would have let it go until next episode. But you can follow the official Pensburg Podcast Twitter account on Twitter. It is at Pensburg Pod at Pensburg P O D, and you can follow us there. We will every time a new episode goes out, it will be linked to that Twitter account. It is basically the sister channel of Pensburg. So both accounts will basically be linked to one another for all of the podcast happenings. If anything new comes up, if we get uh, if we get a guest in the future, uh, and you know we have even if we have viewer viewer questions or listener questions that you want us to ask that particular guest, you can send them through Twitter. Uh, you can also send them through 
the email address we have. Uh, that the email address to reach us is pensburgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, another way to get in touch with us, if uh, just to give us feedback, questions, anything in between. Mike, it's time for you to give uh, any any type of shameless plug that you want to to let everyone know where they can find you. Uh, I am at Mike Darnay on Twitter, D A R N A Y. Um, that's that's about all I got to plug myself. Uh, but as you uh, said, I am the one and only. So the, yes, the one and only. And you know, Mike also. There are no imposters in the world we live in. It is important to know that there are no imposters. Mike is not a bot. He has that wonderful blue check mark. To I let do. You know, I do. Yes. The blue check mark is prim- primarily to let you know that the takes that Mike has only come from him. And nobody else. <laughs> that that's very true. Most people would not would not own them, but I own them. Yes. It, I mean, it, in in the age we live in now, if you're going to take ownership of some of the takes that you put out there. You know that's a that's a pretty brave hill to stand on, and yeah, and yeah. Take, <laughs> take some of the fire that comes your way with some of the takes you put out there. I'm willing. I'm willing. You can find yeah, you can find Mike on Twitter at his handle. You can find me on Twitter at G Bahana at G B E H A N N A. Uh, and I think that will just about do it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening again to another awesome episode. I had so much fun with you, Mike. Thank you so much for coming on. And like I said, pulling double duty after recording Dying Alive, you're the, the, the other podcast that you're primarily primarily appearing on and responsible for. So I, I appreciate your help in coming on and getting a great interview with Bob. Oh, it was fantastic. I'm sure I'll be back on here soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but for Mike Darnay, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to the Pensburg podcast, and we will see you next week.